John chapter 14. We are on the sixth of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the gospel of John. John writes pretty plainly at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20. He says, these things I write to you, right? So that you will know who Jesus is, that you believe in who Jesus is, right? And in so doing, you will have everlasting life. John's very clear about why he writes what the point of his gospel is, is for us to believe in Jesus. And that's the goal of everything we do here at Tomoka, hopefully, is to get people into a relationship with Jesus and then have them walk and live in that relationship. And so hopefully we've learned a lot about the relationship with Jesus in the I am statements. I love this particular I am statement because I think that's so rich with meaning and purpose. So, um, you've heard Pastor Joe talk about the little town that he's from, right? It's so insignificant, I'm not even going to mention it, right? Uh, but uh, but I, listen, I grew up in the country too. I grew up in, in the country where, you know, we lived miles from town, off the highway, uh, you know, but at some point you had to drive 25 to 30 minutes just to get to Walmart. I mean, we lived in the boonies, incredibly poor. And those of you that, I mean, you see these people everywhere, right? But when you grow up in the country, away from the hubbub of a town or a city, country folk, just different than city folk. Yeah, they are. The, they are. So that's why we called you townies and that you didn't talk to us at all, right? There was always a little bit of weirdness between those who raised in the country and the, and I'm talking about country. I'm not talking about rich people buying a piece of land and building a log home. That's not the same thing. Okay. I'm talking about people who are born and raised in the country. There's some weird people out there and we lived in them. We were among those people and there was some weird career choices that were made in the country. Right? There were just different options there for people, right? And so one of my friends grew up, and I remember in class one day when he was asked, right, what do you want to do when you grow up? He said, I want to be a scarecrow. How many of you ever saw a scarecrow? Right? So basically you build this straw figure, whatever, put it in your garden to keep the, the birds or whatever away from your carrots, whatever, right? The idea was to scare, right, all of these animals away from eating your plate. He said he wanted to be a scarecrow. And I'm like, just mouth open, like what in the world is talking about, right? And the teacher, thank goodness, asked, why in the world do you want to be a scarecrow? And he said, well, I just want to be outstanding in my field. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just embarrassed I have to tell those jokes, right? I either get fired or I tell those dumb jokes. That's just the way it works anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, John chapter 14 and verse 6. So we're in this process. So if you, we, the great thing about the I am statements of Jesus, if you followed along, right, the I am, J, the I am statements go, basically they're a conversation. They're within the conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees, right? In every one of these situations where Jesus is making this one statement of deity, right? Because the I am statement, right? In the Greek is the same I am statement made in the Hebrew in regards to God's deity and the deity of Jesus. And we've gotten so, we've gotten so 
right, into the conversation with the Pharisees. They're not even mad about that anymore. They've gotten so mad about so many other things that when he calls himself God, it's not even registering anymore, right? And so he says in John 14, right, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in every one of these statements, we're learning, right, we're learning about this relationship. The last Wednesday that we met, right, I think we had a student take over last Wednesday. How many of you were here for that? Right? Awesome job by our student ministry team and by Pastor Elijah. Amen, church. Right? They did a fantastic job. Had lots of people text me after the fact and how amazing worship was uh, and how how awesome Elijah did uh, in his teaching of scripture. So just very grateful. I'm grateful for your kindness in making this place feel welcome to the students and to the adults on those days that we allow student ministry to, to come out here and do those things. We want them to be a part of this. But the week before that, we talked, right, of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Right. And we talked about this idea that God is going to get his glory because God knows that when he's glorified, when he's magnified, when people know and see who he is, it will change people's lives. Right. And we learned in John chapter 11, listen, that glory that God wants, it's going to come at your expense. It's going to come at my expense. Right? It's not going to work like, hey, I need you to help me get my glory and I'm going to make it to where when you do it for me, it's going to be easy peasy. There's never going to be any trouble. Right? It's not the way it works. Right? Lazarus had to die in front of his sisters and they had to endure the caretaking of him dying and they had to do the, do the thing and get him buried. They had to do the funeral thing and suffer the loss and the grief with their friends. Listen, the man born blind suffered for years with a handicap of blindness. Not like today, not like there's all of these agencies that are out there to help someone who's blind today in the culture of Jesus. When a man was born blind, he had one choice. He had to beg. Because he couldn't work and he was kicked out because they were convinced there was sin in the camp. And so this person became homeless as quickly as they could, right? And had nothing going for him. And Jesus said that man was born that way so God could get his glory. You see, here's the thing about God and his glory. He doesn't have a concern at all about pushing into your life and getting that glory in any way, shape, or form. And so in all these teachings that Jesus says... I am the door. I am, right, the good shepherd. I am the rest. These are all places for you and I, right, to lean into our relationship with Jesus. And for me, the last two, John 14, 6, and in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branch. These two really hammer home that this is about you and I having a relationship with Jesus. So for those of you that are online and those of you who are in here, how many of you have have or are currently in a relationship? I'm not just talking about a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, right? Someone in a romantic relationship. I'm talking about best friends, right? Brothers, sisters, right? We've all we are all at some level participating in relationships, correct? When relationships are good, they are the best. Would you agree with that? Okay, five of you over here, thank you. <laughs> Rest of you, right? If a relationship is good, is that not one of the best things in the world to have is a good relationship? Yeah, they're awesome. And when they stink, yeah, you might as well take me out back and hit me with a two by four, right? 
They're terrible. Listen, when a relationship stinks, most everything, especially if it's a relationship of importance to you, it affects everything else in your life. Would you agree with that? Oh, man. Where is on you? Now, some of you, listen, some of you are built to just not care about much of all. We appreciate you being here, right? We're praying for you, okay? But the large majority of people, it really bothers, right? It is a hard thing. Listen, it's a hard thing to be in a relationship. And how many of you, how many of you are still being told by somebody that you still need to get better at a relationship? So some of you have perfected it. Welcome. We're glad you're here too, right? Thank you, right? We're praying for you too, right? Um, listen, relationships are something that we are good at and all of a sudden we're bad at. And then we get better at it and then we're told we're bad at it again, right? Depending on who the audience is, who's telling you, you, you could live pretty much your whole life and be convinced you never got any good at it, right? That's just the way it is in a lot of relationships, right? Because why? A relationship is an organism. It is living. It is breathing. It is changing. It is growing. It is an incredibly difficult thing to do, right? And for three years, for over three years, these 12 Jewish boys, right, have followed this man named Jesus. He has been the sole heartbeat of their life for three years. They have followed him. They have went where he has gone. They have eaten where he has eaten. They have slept where he has slept. They have endured to some degree on the outside what he has endured. They have seen the miraculous. They have experienced the drought. They have been with Jesus for three years. Now let me ask you, if you're in that kind of intimate relationship with somebody for three years, is that a good relationship or not? Yeah, three years is a long time. Right? Listen, if you're in that kind of day-to-day relationship with another adult for three years, that's a good relationship. Yes? Yeah, those matter. And so we get to chapter 13. 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are one night in the life of Jesus. And one night, we learn more about Jesus and the relationship he has with these men than just about any other passage in Scripture. Any other place in Scripture. And in John chapter 13, right, we get through the, the, the awkward moment where Jesus, right, as the rabbi, the leader of the group gets down and puts on the towel and washes the dirty feet of the disciples. We have that awkward moment, right? And they're all sitting there like, what is happening? Right? And he washes and dries their feet and then says basically to them, Hey, I've left you an example. Do the same for each other. You remember that story, right? In that same conversation, Jesus begins to tell these people, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Right? It's a conversation he's brought up before. If you go back to John 12, you'll find it. Right? You can find it littering the narrative of Jesus' life. After a couple years of ministry, as we get close to that three-year mark, Jesus begins to drop hints to his followers, these 12, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going. Now listen, if you're in a relationship with somebody for three years, and they stop, start dropping hints that they're leaving, make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable? Uncomfortable, right? And so it's going to be into that space that we learn about I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to read a few verses here in John chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to stand out of respect if you can. If not, don't worry about it. And let's read in John chapter 14. We're not going to read the whole narrative, right? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, he says, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going, he says. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one, everybody say no one. No one comes to the Father except through Say it, me. He goes on, if you really knew me, you'd know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, just show us. Just show us the father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me or believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then we go on or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Then we skip down to verse 15. He says, if you love me. You're going to obey what I command. Everybody, everybody online, everybody here, read that one with me again. Bring that one back up there, David. Everybody read this with me. If you. Pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? Right. He goes on to say in verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor. Right. A comforter, a paraclete. Right. To be with you for how long? Forever. The spirit of truth. Right, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. He says, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. You can be seated. Learning how to trust, right? Learning how to trust an individual can be incredibly difficult in our relationships with people, right? And part of what has taken place, right, in John and the gospel, right, is this idea that these I am statements are designed to help. Well, one, they're they're partly designed to help clarify, right, for those who don't know Jesus, who he is, and make it possible for them to believe in him, The subsequent result was to completely infuriate people who were religious teachers of the day. They found themselves growing increasingly, right, aggravated and to the point of complete anger with Jesus that they wanted to kill him. But what does it mean for you and me in 2023, right? So I picked out three words out of this text that I want to focus on for me and you this evening. Here's the first word, right? The first word is tension. Everybody say that tension, right? Now, David, bring that verse up. You just showed John 16, right? So let's be clear what's happening in Jesus's life. He's lived his life three plus years, right? And we know from scripture that Jesus had entered into his last week on this earth, right? 
in this physical manifestation he's living in and has lived in for 33 plus years. He's in the last week of that and he knows it, right? And so he comes into Jerusalem, as you know, through the triumphal entry, right? And thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people are screaming, Hosanna, right? Save us, son of David. And they wave the palm branches and they bring him in like they would any conquering king. And a week later, they're going to be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knows all of this. He knows the moment of exaltation. He also knows what's coming in the end, right? And listen to what he says in John 16, right? Because you've been in despair before. You've been in a place where you have felt complete despair and hopelessness. Anybody relate to that? Where you have, you have been dying inside for somebody to come along beside you and ask you, how are you doing? What do you need? And all of you, if not, if most of you, if not all of you know the pain of that gap. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to him who sent me. Now, read this, this next line with me. Yet none of you ask me. Um, they are so focused, right? They're so focused on themselves, they don't even bother to see how Jesus is doing. He says, I'm going to go. None of you ask me, where are you going? He says this with the next verse. Because I have said these things. What things? I'm leaving, right? I'm leaving, right? And I'm going to be crucified. He said, because I've said these things, you are filled with, implied, your own grief. They've been so focused on themselves and losing Jesus. Not one person in the week leading to Jesus's death on the cross. Not one person said, hey, where, where are you going? How are you doing? Nobody said a word to him. They only thought about who? Seems sort of familiar at times, doesn't it? Because when it comes to Jesus, who do we often think about? Ourselves. How's it going to work with me and Jesus? What's that mean for me in Jesus? What's Jesus going to do for me? Where's Jesus at in my life? How come I don't feel close to Jesus? And the person that we're most concerned about? Me. Right? It seems hard to comprehend that you could be in a relationship with the man for three years. And when it gets to the point he's telling you he's going to die. He's going to be turned over to the Jews, to the Pharisees, and they're going to kill him. It would be hard to believe that those men never asked Jesus, what, what about you? What's going on with you? But it didn't happen. But then I got to thinking about us. And I think that's probably a familiar struggle with most of us when it comes to Jesus. So Jesus says, I think there are three words that identify, again, us in this narrative with these disciples. And the first word is tension. Everybody say tension. Listen, how many of you love, how many of you love, like, right, are good with conversations that are full of tension? How many of you like that? Okay, nobody. That's why none of you have my job, right? How many of you are uncomfortable with it, don't like it, would do, would do just almost anything to avoid it? Okay? And some of you are not participating. All right. Listen, nobody, very few people like to be in situations that are tense. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Right? N not very many people do. And so here's the problem, that there are things in the world that will not work without tension. Right? Listen, if you've ever driven a car, 
right? Or a motor, right? That has a belt on it. You know what happens when the belt doesn't have the right amount of tension. Do you know what happens to that belt? Yeah, it either breaks or falls off. And then what happens to the engine? It clicks, right? There are things in the world that have, have to have tension. I don't know if you've met other people. But if you're with other people in any situation, there's going to be some tension between people sometimes. Yes or no? And if your life is spent doing anything to avoid tension, you're going to be a miserable person. And you're not really a person another person can trust. Because as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Have you ever seen iron smack iron? Sparks fly. It's an uncomfortable collision. It makes a noise. It leaves a mark. But you know what? None of us get better unless there's tension. And I'm not talking about the kind of tension you create just by being a jerk. Okay? I'm just talking about the kind of tension that comes from you and I just being different. You and I have different stories. You and I have different opinions. Right? You can have healthy tension. Right? And here's the thing about your relationship with Jesus. You and I, right? If you're online, if you're in here and you have a relationship with Jesus, let me hear you say amen. I mean, just think about it. You have God, the God, the only God of the universe that created everything in six days, right? The same God that raises people from the dead. The same God that's in charge of snow and hail and has the ocean built to stay exactly where it stays every day. Who tells the sun when to rise and when to set. The God who's in charge of what? Everything, and he lives inside of you. Do you not think there's going to be tension there? Yes or no? Of course there is. Your life in Christ is going to be full of tension because how do you suppose that the God of the universe is supposed to live well inside of you when you probably and I probably got a C on a math test? We just don't know everything, do we? No, we're broken beaten, bruised up people. And all of a sudden this perfect God shows up and says, I've got all the power. I've been everywhere. I know everything. I even know everything you're thinking, feeling, and going to say. And I'm going to make my home right in here. And I'm going to do it while you try to be married. This ought to be fun. Right? And I'm going to do it while you raise kids. That'll even be more enjoyable. Right? And I'm going to do it while I try to watch you turn into Jesus from day to day. That ought to be painful. See, there's always going to be tension in the life of the believer. And there's one tension that the disciples speak into here that I think you and I can relate to, right? We, we read in John, 5, John 13, right? These words, right? In verse 36 through 38. My children, I'm going to be with you. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Hey, go back to verse 33 there, David, right? My children, I'll be with you only a little while longer. He says, you're going to look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Listen, this was a gut punch to these men. It was a gut punch. They didn't want to hear this. These people were so desperate to keep Jesus in their lives. They'd have rather died with him than live a day without him. You get that? That's how much they didn't want Jesus to go. Jesus says in verse 36, he says this, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replies to him. He says, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow when? Later, so the already, but not yet. Where I'm going to go, you get to come. It's already that, it's already a done deal, but you can't do it just yet. 
How many of us love that space, right? That's a stinky space, right? Listen, tomorrow is my day off, right? I was talking to my buddy on the phone today and he's like, man, he goes, you are locked and loaded today. I'm like, dude, my day off starts tomorrow to when I'm done preaching. Like it's already, already mine. It's just not happened yet, right? Like we're living in that already. Jesus says to Peter, listen, where I'm going to go, you're coming. Just not now. He says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Why can't I have that now? Jesus said, I'm going to lay down my life for you. Or Peter says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And Jesus says this, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? He says, I tell you the truth before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. Listen, and here's what he says. There's a, listen, there is a monumental tension in the life of a believer Right When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, because what we want now, often we can't have until when? We can't have it till later. And what happens in the gap between what we want now and what we are promised later is a really difficult gap for us to navigate. For the, for the disciples, it was very simple. What we want now is we want Jesus here. We want to touch him. We want to walk with him. We want to eat with him. We want to see his face. We want to hear his voice. We want to smell his smell. We want to see his smile. We do not want to lose that. We want that now. And Jesus says, you can't have it. I'm leaving. You can have it again later. And you know what the Jews, the disciples did? They freaked out. They panicked. Because listen to what, what John 14, 1 said. John 14, 1 said, let not your hearts be what? Troubled, right? In the Greek, that means stop. It's an imperative. He says, stop letting your hearts be what? Troubled. Don't do it. The word trouble means to stir. Right? It's to stir up strife. It's used of a false teacher going into a church to cause division. Right? He says, do not let your heart be divided. Don't let your heart be stirred up. Stop letting that happen. Right? Why? Because he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Everybody read this with me. Trust in. Trust also. See, here's what he's saying. You trust in God. How many of you trust in God right now? Say amen. Right? How many of you have ever seen God? Let me see your hands. That's what I thought. And yet somehow you trusted an invisible God. What Jesus was saying to the disciples was, listen, I'm going to be just as God is to you. I'm going to be invisible. I'm going to be gone. Right? And they're freaking out. We can trust in God who we don't see, but please, God, don't take Jesus away from me. Because if I can't see Jesus, if I can't know he's there, if I can't experience him right in front of me, if I can't have what I want now, but I got to wait till later, God, please don't make me live in that tension. And Jesus said, if you believe in God, and I know you do, just believe in me the same way. You see, for them, that was a brand new path. For us, it's been our only path. It's been our only path from the beginning because we are people who believe in Jesus and who've never seen him. And yet, here's the tension. How do you live well in the gap of faith versus sight? How do you live well when what you want, you may not get until later? How do you learn how to live faithfully when that doesn't happen? Here's a story in the Old Testament, right? Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha, the prophet after Elijah, right? He's causing all kinds of trouble because everything that the king of Aram is doing, Elijah, Elisha is being told by God and God's reporting it to the king of Israel. And it looks like there is a mole inside of the Armenian army. And he's angry and furious and frustrated. Right. And finally, he's like, who's ratting me out? 
And his man says, nobody is. Elisha, the prophet, is being told by God. And he's telling the king of Israel, everywhere you're going. And the king of Aram says, I'm done with him. Kill him. Find him. Tell me where he's at so we can kill him. Right? And we pick up that narrative in 2 Kings 6. Look at this narrative. Right? Go find out where he is, Elisha. Right? So I can send men and capture him. The report came back. Elisha is in Dothan. So it says he sent horses, chariots, a strong force there. They went by night and they surround the city of Dothan. Elisha is in that city. When the servant, right? We know that servant's name, named to be Gehazi, right? When Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, got up, went out early the next morning, right? An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So he walks out of his camp feeling pretty protected by God because Elisha is a man of God. And all of a sudden, the entire Armenian army has surrounded the city on horses and horses with chariots. Have any idea how the servant of God felt? Yeah, terrified. He says, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked Elisha. Elisha says, don't you, don't you love this kind of counsel? Hey, buddy, just don't be afraid, right? I don't have a weapon, but it's going to be okay, right? Don't be afraid, the prophet said. Why? Why is he so confident? He says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you're Gehazi and you're looking at them and their swords and their bows and arrows and their horses and their armor and their chariot, and you're looking at Elisha, Right? Elisha, a small man of God who has no weapon. And he says, it's okay. We got more than they got. Seems sort of crazy, doesn't it? Well, look what it says. Elisha prays. And he says, oh, Lord, open his eyes. Whose eyes? The servant's eyes. There was something he was missing. Because he was so focused on what he could see, he was missing what faith would allow him to see. He says, open his eyes so that he may what? See. Because sight, if everything in your life with Jesus is focused on what you can see, you are going to be blinded to the things of God and what you should see in him. He says, the Lord opens the servant's eyes and look what happens. He looks and he sees the hills full of horses and chariots of what? Fire all around Elisha. You see, the disciples were being forced to deal with this idea that my heart is troubled. It is absolutely turned upside down. Listen, we talk about this. I talk about this, right? You probably talk about this. But the nation, the country that we're living in seems to be getting crazier and crazier and crazier by the day. Yes? Any of you been discouraged over the last one, two, three, four years? Right? It's easy to be discouraged. Have you wondered what God's doing and why he's silent and why he's not fixing the problem? Anybody ever wonder those kind of things? I do. Right? I can wonder, my heart, listen, my heart can be troubled. I've got nine grandkids. They're going to be grazed in this crazy, unstable environment. I'm a little troubled, right? I'm a little troubled by this world that we're living in that seems to be getting worse and worse and the lies just get worse and worse and nobody seems to mind and those that throw a fit seem to be the crazy people. Like, what is happening in our world? I can be a little bit troubled in that. These disciples were troubled. Their man was leaving. He wasn't going to be with them anymore. 
And they were worried. And they were afraid. And they were concerned. And Jesus says, don't. Don't. You shouldn't have a troubled heart. Why? He says, because if you believe in a God that you don't see, you can believe in me even when you can't see me. And listen, for people like me and you who are human first, filled with the Spirit second, it is a challenge to fight the humanity to go, I need to see before I believe. Right? It's a struggle in that world. Right? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. See if you can relate to this. He says, we know that if we have this earthly tent, your earthly tent is your body. Right? For some of you, it feels closer to home calling it a tent. Right? We know that this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he says, we have a building from God. This is what Jesus told the disciples, right? Let not your heart be troubled, right? Believe in God, believe also in me. If God wouldn't, if there wasn't a lot of rooms in God's house, he said, I would have told you, I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be with me also. He says, you have a building already from God. It's eternal, right? It's in the heaven and it's not built by human hands. He says this, but in the meantime, right? So we already have this mansion in heaven, this room, this place that we go to in heaven, but not yet. He says, in the meantime, right? We do what? Groan. We long to be clothed with this heavenly dwelling, this heavenly understanding, this heavenly connection. He says, because when we are clothed, right, with that heavenly stuff, we won't be found naked. We won't be found lost. We won't be found disoriented. We won't be found, right, uncovered spiritually. When we get there, we'll know all, we'll be known, it'll all be good. But in the meantime, what are we doing? We're living in a stupid tent, And we're groaning and we're longing. We're trying to figure it out. He says, for while we're in this tent, this body, we groan and we're what? We're burdened. Sound familiar to anybody in here? Right? He says, because we don't wish to be unclothed. We really would like to know, God, what's going on? Can you please tell me why all this is happening? Why are you letting children be kidnapped and raped and sent into sex slavery just to be destroyed? Why are the streets of our cities being filled with blood because people are just randomly killing each other? Why is all of this stuff happening? We want not to be unclothed. We don't want to be ignorant of the heavenly. He says, but to be clothed with this heavenly thing, this heavenly dwelling. We'd like for this to be over. He says, so that what is mortal, this nonsense we're living in, right? What's corrupted may be swallowed up by life. But what is this? It's God who's made us for this very purpose. And it's him who's given us the spirit as a deposit Right? That guarantees what's to come. Therefore, we are always confident and what? And know that as long as we are at home in this body, we are away from that heavenly dwelling. He says, we live by, not by, and that's the tension we live in, right? The tension we live in is that as long as we live here, we're burdened by groaning and not knowing. We live in the gap of that's ours and we know what ours is. It's not just a heavenly home. First Corinthians 13 says we'll be known as we fully know all of this stuff that we live here and don't know about. And we have to study and we have to guess and we have to argue and we have to go through all those things. He says all that's going to be removed. You won't have to wonder, well, why did God let Joe Biden be president? You won't have to ask stupid questions like that because guess what? We're going to know all those things. But when you live here, it's frustrating to have those kinds of questions as a believer, is it not? 
He says, you and I have been made for this purpose. But the only way it works is we've got to learn how to live in the tension. And the tension is, I have Jesus. But I have to walk by sight. Only when I get to heaven, I have to walk by faith in the meantime. And that's a hard struggle for us, right? It's a hard struggle to maintain that in the process. So how do you do it? Second word. Second word, relationship. He tells you how to do it. He tells us exactly how to do it. Listen to John 14, 5. He says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how do we even know how to get there? And what's Jesus said? Jesus says, I what? So he doesn't tell him the path. He doesn't say, well, you take, go down to Cherry Street and you take a right. And then when you get to the stop sign, you go back left, right? On Mulberry Avenue. And then you make the circle around the free. He didn't say that, right? They say, where are you going? We don't even, we, where you go? We don't know where that's at because we don't even know the way. And Jesus says, Jesus says, who's the way? I am. So Jesus is pointing to a person as the only way to get there. Listen, when we go, right? Listen, let me be honest with you. I love to drive and I rarely, if ever, get lost. Ever. Put me in a new city, I figure it out. And I'm talking about no GPS, just the old noggin right here. Right? Now, if I took you and we went to a strange city that with a lot of people and a lot of roads, and I said to you, listen, put your GPS away. All you got to do is trust CAB. I got you. Who would rather put their faith in the GPS than me? GPS? Me. <laughs> Just kidding, right? A GPS, right? Why? Because the GPS will give me a path. You would rather trust in the instructions. You would rather trust in the instructions, right? The path than you would in a what? Person. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you want to figure out how to live by faith and not by sight? You're going to have to build a relationship, not with a process, but with a person. Because I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Right? Ah! Right? We've become obsessed. We've become obsessed with knowing the path. Hey, did you read this book? Hey, did you read that book? Hey, did you study this? Did you read that? Let me read this passage to you in John chapter 5. John 5 says this. I have a testimony or weightier than that of John the Baptist. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, Jesus says, and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. He says, the Father who sent me, right? This is in John 5. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. Listen to this. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, he says, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe what? The one he what? That's it. He says, you don't believe in the person. You've diligently studied the process. You diligently studied this book, these Old Testament scriptures, because you think that by them... Right? Those processes, those words that you possess eternal life. Jesus says, these are the scriptures that testify about who? Me. See, here's the thing. You're going to be terrible at walking by sight or by faith and not by sight if you have no relationship with Jesus, but you know all the processes. It won't do you any good. You see, because knowing Jesus is knowing a man. It's knowing a real person. Right? You may not see him, 
But it makes a difference, right? Listen, I can tell you this. I don't know your stories, but my guess is some of you have had to spend some time away from somebody you loved for a significant period of time, either because of work or because, listen, I've got, I've got my children, right? Your children get up and they grow up and they go to college and they move hours or states away. Anybody experience that, right? It's no fun living in that gap because I miss seeing them face to face, right? I, you, I've had loved ones. We've had loved ones that have passed away, right? It's hard. We miss them. I, I would give anything, anything to hear my mom's voice, just to hear her whine and complain one more time, right? Just do anything to hear it, right? Anything to hear my mom pretend she was going to hang up and then talk for another 30 minutes. I would give anything for that, right? Because we miss them when they're not here. And that makes living in that gap hard. And that's the gap that we as believers live in because it's already ours, but just later, not now. So what makes it doable? You got to have a relationship. I love my daughter, Kana. She called me today and it's, it's weird. She calls me and she goes, are you at work? No, honey, I'm independently wealthy. I'm at home watching Oprah right now, right? <laughs> what do you mean? It's Wednesday afternoon at three. Where do you figure I would be, Right. But I love it even though she's gone and I miss her living without sight of her every day is possible because you know what we work on almost every single day? We work on our relationship. That means I text her. She texts me. She sends me stupid things and I tell her how dumb they are, right? She says to me, I need money and I say, yes, how much, right? She sends me pictures of her boyfriend and I send an emoji with a crying face, right? But we work hard at our relationship so that when she's not here, that gap is easier to navigate. Listen, let's be clear. There's a huge navigate for you and me to navigate with Jesus because he's just not here. And we have to fill that gap with something. And here's what I know. If you're not working on this relationship with Jesus, if you're not letting him speak to you and you're not speaking to him, if you're not doing things that cultivate that relationship, you're going to be a person that walks more by sight than you are by faith. And you're going to struggle to find the joy in knowing Jesus. Because you're going to have to learn how to walk in that gap between sight and faith. And it's all about having a relationship. Look at Luke 24, the road to Emmaus after the, the, the resurrection, right? He said to them, how foolish are you? This is Jesus speaking to these men. How foolish are you, right? And how slow of heart to believe all what? Believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, right? He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who? Himself. Listen, this is all about Jesus for me and you. And it's all about learning to have a relationship with Jesus. This isn't about being able to know... Listen, and, and I'm, we're going to have to wrap it up and I'm going to get to finish it next week. But let, let me let me sort of boil this down for you and me. Listen, the more people you have, the more people you have, you have to have some processes in place for those people. Otherwise, it gets to be chaos, right? If you bring 150 people together and you let people do whatever they want to do, you're going to have chaos. Yes or no? So you got to develop some human processes, right, to sort of manage and corral 150 people, right? But we, listen, the church, the church 
has not just turned the relationship with Jesus into a process of facts and figures, of things we do and don't do. We've taught generations that that's the right way, right? That when it comes to Jesus, here's a list of 10 things that you have to be doing and a list of 418 things you should never do. And as long as you obey those lists, you know Jesus. That's not true. Because Jesus is not a list. He is not a process. Because the prophets, the prophets and Moses and everything in this book points to who? Points to, points to who? Jesus. A person. A real, live, animated, breathing thing that you can have a relationship with. If your only relationship is, I know the catechism, right? I know those apostle creeds. I know all those things. I know the books of the Bible. Listen, if they haven't pointed you to Jesus and they haven't grown you to look like Jesus, then you put more faith in the process than you have in the person. You're a person that believes in the GPS more than you do in the person in the passenger seat that says, trust me, I'll get you there. And that's the problem. We've tried to, we've tried to recruit people in the church by telling them about the process. No. We recruit them to the church by showing them Jesus. That's what we do. And these disciples, listen, these disciples, right, were about this challenge for them, right? You've got to be, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And yes, we could have preached about what does it mean, way, truth, and life, but listen, the first word is the one that matters. I am that way. I am that. Listen, you don't need a GPS if you have Jesus. Well, we don't have Jesus, so we need the book to tell us about Jesus. And then we fall in love with Jesus. We serve Jesus. We tell others about our friend Jesus, right? We pray to our Jesus. We cry with our Jesus, right? We serve alongside our Jesus. Why? Because we want the same thing Jesus wants. It's not about a book. It's not about a place. It's not about a process. It's about a person, right? You've got to have a relationship. You want to, oh, the only way we survive the gap between faith and sight is you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. You've got to be working on it. And listen, for lots of us, coming to gather together on a night like Wednesday or Tuesday or Saturday or Sunday helps us build our relationship with Jesus. Amen, church? And listen, if you're not even, listen, if you're not giving your relationship with Jesus even an hour, how do you expect it to grow? You can't. So what's going to happen when Jesus says later, not now? You're going to struggle because you're going to have to believe him. You're going to have to trust him. And how do you do it? I haven't spoken to him in three and a half weeks. I haven't prayed. I haven't read my Bible. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I've been to church in three weeks. I've been to church in four months, Right? Listen, if it's all about the process, you forget about the person. And the person, Jesus says, is the only thing that can get you home. That's it. Because if this book, this book will not get you home unless that book points you to Jesus. Every line in this book, if it does not point you to the person, Jesus, it does not work for you. If you can quote every verse in it, know every book of the Bible, know the Greek language and the Hebrew language, and it has not pointed you to Jesus, and you are not walking with Jesus, you ain't not, you're not getting home. You're going to get to a church. You're going to get to philosophy. You're going to get to a denomination. You're going to get to a leader of a group, but you're never going to get to your savior. You've got to develop a relationship with Jesus because there's a tension in the world we live in. And the tension is we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And here's the last, I want to just show you the last word. This is where we're going to pick up next week is the idea of partnership, right? So my partner to tell me service is over is in the back, Shelby. So 
We're going to pray, and then we're going to finish this next week and then jump into I am the vine and you're the branch. Father, thank you for um, thank you for not making fun of our troubled hearts. Thank you for not making us feel less than because we are people with troubled hearts. Because it is hard, God, living in this gap. Because there are so many things happening in front of us that are not, they're not of you. Or at least it doesn't seem like they reflect you. And it is hard to walk faithfully in that gap. It's hard not to just be angry and not just fight and scream and kick and yell. It is so hard, God, to stay faithful in that gap. And I'm grateful that what you've given us in that gap isn't a set of 20 things to quote. But it's a person to be connected to. And so, God, I just thank you for Jesus. My prayers for everybody that's listening and everybody that's in here. That what they will do more than anything from this space on is that they will work on developing a relationship with Jesus. And I know, God, there's not one person listening right now that doesn't know how to do that. So convict them. Convict them to fall into that and to build the relationship with the only one that can make this gap possible. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.